Good morning, church. You caught me taking a drink. How are you? Good. You look amazing. You look good. So glad to see you here. Welcome if you're watching online. We're glad that you're watching with us today. In fact, no matter if you're online or in the house, why don't you go ahead and take out your cell phones and be a good witness to your electronic neighbors and share the stream. You can go to Facebook or YouTube, whatever your social media, don't get trapped in the notifications. We don't want you to check all the notifications, but go ahead and share what God is doing here today uh, because today's sermon is a good one, all right? Today is a good one. Uh, I brought a good one to, for you today because I knew that it was time for a really good sermon, uh, so I brought one. Amen. 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 <laughs> They're like, please make it good. Speaking of babies and saying amen, my grandson Luca is watching online right now and his mom and dad, but Luca is watching and he's awake. Uh, he's been watching the last few weeks and I found out that he falls asleep during the sermon. So we'll see if he can make it through today's sermon. Luca, stay awake, buddy. It's a good one. We are in part two of the series, Famous at home. And many of us put more effort into becoming famous on stages that are outside the home rather than stages that are inside the home because that's where we find often our identity and our significance. Now, your stage this morning could be social media, your stage could be a boardroom or a sports field. A hospital, maybe if you're a doctor or a nurse or admin, maybe that's your stage and you've put all of your energy and effort into the hospital. Maybe your stage is a battlefield. Maybe your stage is building a business, opening a new business. Maybe it's a government building or a farm or an arena or any other role or activity to which you attach your sense of significance. I'm just challenging all of our stages this morning, mine included, because there's one primary stage that you and I really need to focus on, and we really need to understand the significance of where God has placed us to be and the role that he's called us to take on for our family and for the people around us. Because putting your career or any other activity or person or source of identity as center stage in your life will ultimately hurt the people that you love the most. If your center stage is not the center stage that God has designed for you and your family, you will ultimately hurt those you love most. And at the end of the day, if you succeed everywhere else, in every other arena and platform and stage of life, but in your home, you don't have peace, love, unity, and joy, what does it profit you? What have we really won if we win the whole world, but we've lost those we love the most? I know we've done up downs today in church, but many of us didn't make it to the gym this week anyway. So please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. I want to take you to the book of Mark, 
chapter 3, verses 22. We're going to read, skip a few, but down through 35. I love this block of text. It's really cool. The scribes, the religious leaders who came down from Jerusalem were saying about Jesus, he is possessed by the devil and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons and he called them to him. Jesus called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom shall not stand. Maybe America needs to hear this. If a nation divided against itself is divided, it will not stand. If a family, Jesus says, a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. I'm going to repeat that one more time. We just need to get this in us today. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Then we jump down to verse 31. And it seems like it has nothing to do with what Jesus has just said, but we're going to tie it together and, and help it make sense to us. Jesus' mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he said to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what does. Jesus starts out by saying, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Then he gets word that mom and bros are here. And he's like, who's my mom? Who's my brothers? It's not them. It's these people. And seemingly, Jesus is creating division in his own house. We're going to take a look at that. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you today. Oh, God, I thank you for the opportunity just to share your word. It is so rich and beautiful and meaningful and significant for us today. God, I ask that you would... Bless our ears to receive all that you have for us. That you would challenge us, that you would grow us, that you would encourage us. God, we are a people that need hope today. Let your hope flow. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. Before you sit down, I want you to turn to two or three people, look them in the eye with a smile and say, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. And then you may be seated. While everyone is talking in the room, we're going to let that conversation happen. I'm going to welcome everyone that's online. A few people that I see, I see Jennifer and Chris, Blanca, Brian, Suarez, Ava. Uh, so many of you watching today, welcome to church. We're glad that you're with us. Oh, you guys stopped talking. Okay, we'll move on. I was just having a chat with our online community while you were catching up and saying it's not about you, it's me. 
there are two rules for our time together today. When you start playing a game, you have to read the rules, right? Greg, I mean, it's not fair for you to find out the rules later on in the game. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you the rules for today's sermon, for our talk time today. I only have two rules, and they're really simple, all right? Not easy, simple. The first rule is this. I want us all to know and to understand that your spouse, your parent, your child, your husband, your wife, your sibling, anyone that you would consider your family, that person is not your opponent. Say, they are not my opponent. Turn to your neighbor, turn to someone you came here with and say, you're not my opponent. You're not my opponent. Now, opponents are anything that threatens to interrupt intimacy and lead to disconnection. And opponents are not always bad. You can have an opponent to your marriage, an opponent to your father-son, mother-daughter relationship. You can have opponents that are trying to disrupt connection and it not be bad. There are some very good things in life that we have to juggle and struggle with and run with. And just because it creates or has this tendency to create disconnection doesn't mean it's bad. It means we need to be aware of that tendency and be able to handle both. Sometimes we can't handle the tension of holding good things that are a distraction. We have to be able to hold good things. Anyone that just recently got a promotion and they're requiring a little bit more time at work, a little bit more stress, you're having to go through training and figure out what you're doing, and it's creating some disconnection in your relationship, that doesn't mean your promotion is a bad thing. It just means that you and I have to get better at handling opponents. Now, that promotion is an opponent. It's not a bad thing. What or who is your opponent right now? I didn't say enemy. Don't get the two words confused. There's no human that is your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The prince of the power of the air is the enemy, but humans can be our opponent. I'll give you a few example, examples. Is your opponent finances? Is your opponent the way your spouse handles finances? Uh-oh. Is your opponent the way you handle finances? Is your opponent deployment? a promotion, job security. Maybe you have differing opinions and perspectives on parenting and discipline. Maybe you have the demands of a new baby or new twins or new quadruplets as Marshall exits the room. <laughs> the demands of the baby can be an opponent to the relationships in the home. Michaela and Lawrence are watching Online right now with Luca, and Luca is a precious gift, but if they're not careful, Luca can be an opponent to the connection that husband and wife are having. As you get less sleep and you argue over silly things like, where's the mayonnaise? I put it here, you put it there. The tiredness can be an opponent. Another opponent, a struggling child, maybe a move to a new state, maybe an addiction is the opponent in your home. Maybe a health crisis or a health issue. Maybe it's a, a new job that you're launching or a business that you're stepping into. 
I'm asking you to name your opponents because if we can't name our opponent, what happens is we end up fighting over the opponent rather than fighting together against it. We fight over who changed the baby last rather than understanding this is a draw on our relationship. We need to come together and do this together. Rather than blaming the spouse and how they spend money, we, we fight over that instead of coming together and saying, the money issues is the problem, but you're not my opponent. You're not my enemy. Now, opponents come and go, by the way. Um, the opponent that you face right now is not probably the opponent that you will have a year from now. It could be, but probably not. Opponents come and go. You have different pressures, different uh, stressors. What matters most is not what your opponent is, but what you do with the information. Specifically, that your focus is on understanding the opponents of the people you live with. What is your spouse's opponent? What are your kids' opponents? What are the things that are causing them to step into moments of isolation or disconnection? What's going on inside of their heart? What are the opponents that they are facing? Now, I said that the first rule is your spouse, your child, your sibling, the people you live with, the people you call family, they are not your opponent. But we do need to figure out what the opponents are in our home. So we agree that family members are not the opponent. Our family members are actually the prize for running a race well. When our families are healthy, when our relationships are strong, that's the prize. We're not running to conquer them. We're not trying to correct them. We're not trying to defeat them. They are the prize. So that's rule number one. The person you came with today or the person that's at home, they are not your opponent. Rule number two. We're just going over the rules, Brian, right now. Rule number two. This message is not for someone you know. It's for you. Some of you already were thinking in the first rule about someone else in your home. Please don't fall into the trap of applying the word of God to everyone else but you. Here's the problem. When we allow these principles to be applied to someone else, we strip the principle of its power to change and transform our own life. I get more invested in your transformation than I am invested in my surrender. Applying principles to the husband, to the wife, to the kids, to the dogs is pride. None of us this morning are above the correction and the discipline of the word of God in our own life. And I guarantee you, if you will not think of anyone else in your home this morning but you, you're going to walk away transformed from this message. So Jesus, in our text, he's being accused of casting out demons by demons. And he says, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. He goes on to say, a house divided against itself will not stand. 
And then he's teaching in a huddle, Crystal. He's got all these, you know, I don't know if they're eating, probably eating, because any good fellowship time, anywhere Jesus is, there's normally food, right? Some hummus, some pita chips, fish, something. There's food. So he's sitting there talking, and someone runs up and says, hey, your mom and your brothers want to talk to you. And he looks back at the people, and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So in our text, we see that Jesus makes the claim that a house divided doesn't stand. He then goes on in the following block to make a more deep revelation to you and I. And that's simply this. Living in the same house as someone Carrying the title of wife, husband, mother, father, daughter, whatever the title is in your home, the title is not what creates alignment and unity in the home. The people with the title were entering in the huddle. Hey, your mom and your brothers, the people carrying the title are out there. And Jesus looks at the circle of people who are, who are with him who are about the Father's business, who are walking in the will of God, and he says, this is what family looks like. Now, this is not an admonishment against family. This is not to say that your mom and dad don't matter. It's not to say that your kids don't matter, your husband doesn't matter. But there's a principle here in being famous at home that we need to understand. If we want to be famous at home, if we want to have healthy family, it goes beyond titles, It goes beyond just forcing the yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. It goes into relationship. Having a healthy family is less about titles and more about flowing in step, headed in the same direction, and actively building connection. So the title of my sermon today is Seven Decisions to Put Your Family Center Stage. Seven Decisions to Put Your Family Center Stage center stage. I probably should have named it three decisions to put your family center stage because that's all I'm going to get to today. But no, there are seven and at some point and life will get to the other four. The first decision, decision one, hopefully you got notes today because there's a lot of information. You can fill this in on your sheet. Decision one, change your mindset. I hope that the greatest red carpet you ever walk down begins at your front door. Not at your job, not on the property, not by the cows, at your front door. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he said this, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transformation, having our family be center stage, the transformation of that always begins with the renewing of our mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I would imagine, now I'm not, I'm not an expert, 
But I would imagine, based on my interactions with families and people and coaching and counseling, that most of the success and growth in your marriage and family comes down to renewing your mind. Renewing whose mind? My mind. Renewing your mind toward your identity. Renewing your mind toward your spouse. Renewing your mind toward your kids, toward your work, toward God's plan for your family. If you want to be famous at home, the first step is going to be change your mindset. Mindset is the single most important shift to become famous at home. And, and newsflash, no one can actually shift your mindset but you. Your spouse can't want you to change enough. Your kids can't want you to change enough. You're responsible for changing your mindset about your family. You can't be bribed into it. You can't be threatened into it. You can't be persuaded. It's something that you have to come to terms with. Do you want to be in a healthy home? Change your mindset. I've been asking the question, how do I want to show up for my family and the people that I love? What rhythms do I need to create in my life? The, the rhythms that I currently have, they're getting me certain results. But if I'm looking long-term, how do I want to show up and be there for the people that love me and the people that I love? And what, what rhythms do I need to instill in my life today so that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I can be a reflection of the man that I currently see? Here's the good news today. In, in flying airplanes, I'm not a pilot, nor do I have any desire to be a pilot. I barely want to get on a plane. But I do know that pilots, when they fly, they use vectoring. Vectoring is, if they're going to change course, they just turn a little bit at a time. It's just like one little arrow like that. And then they turn one little arrow again, and then one little arrow again. And I know some of you already think of a time you were on a plane when that did not happen. And it turned very, very quickly, and you thought you were going down. I know, I've had that experience as well. But for the most part, they change course by vectoring so that you don't even feel that they're changing course. So they'll get radio from the tower, control tower, saying, hey, there is a storm in Nashville you've got to avoid. Let's go a different route. And way before they get to the storm, they start vectoring, so they go around the storm. This is the change that I'm asking you to make. I'm not asking you to be a brand new, different person with all new behaviors and attitudes and, and speech like today. I'm just asking, what's that one vector that gets you closer to the person that God is calling you to be? What's the one little rhythm, the one little rhythm that will cause you to have a different mindset in your family? Decision one is change your mindset. Decision two, I really like, as an Enneagram 4, I like decision two. Decision two is change your environment. Change your environment. One time, someone came up to the church, and it was just Pedro and I working, and we had, like, um, I don't know what you call these things that are, they got the little lamps, and it blows smoke, like incense. F diffuser, thanks. I was sounding more hippie-ish. It's just a diffuser. <laughs> and we had the low lights, and we had jazz music going. I think it was Hosanna and Carrie came on, and, and they were like, oh, you can tell two fours are working here today. 
Because we set the environment for like, chill, we're going to get some work done, we're going to look out the, wi- the window, we hope it rains a little bit today, you know, the, it's gray skies, isn't it beautiful? And uh, so we love to set the environment, but there's actually a story in scripture where David set the environment and King Saul set the environment. I want to read to you 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the harp. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul, who was being tormented by evil spirits, sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them to David, sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. Verse 23. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the harp, took the lyre, and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So when Saul was tormented, he called in David to shift the atmosphere with worship music. I play in the harp. And as David played the harp, the evil spirits that were tormenting him left. Your home has an atmosphere. It's not just brick and mortar. It's not just shingles and rock. Your home has a heartbeat. When you walk onto your property, you open your front door, you should feel something. In fact, you do. Every time you get home, you feel the atmosphere of that home. Now, this isn't voodoo. I'm not being weird like hmm, seance, but it's true. Your home carries a heartbeat. It has an atmosphere. And we, you and I, get to cultivate a life-giving environment. So, do you have an atmosphere today in your home of complaining or gratitude? Don't answer that. Resentment or kindness? Peace or fear? Despair or hope? Anger or patience? Indifference or love? Hostility or gentleness? Entitlement or self-control? Exhaustion or rest? unreliability, or trust. Your home has an atmosphere. So I would encourage you at some point today, when you get home, sit down for a moment and just breathe it in. Holy Spirit, show me the atmosphere of my home. 
Show me the seeds that I've planted in this home and, and the fruit that I'm now eating from the things that I've planted. Because the truth is, you and I can make shifts. That's the beauty of being a follower of God, being the follower of a creative God who spoke the world into existence. You and I also have creative power to shift atmospheres. So some shifts that we need to make. I think I'm going to break these into two categories. I would call them family shifts and supernatural shifts. In the family shift, the first shift that you can make that will shift your atmosphere at home, these are personal shifts. Maybe there is a personal shift that you need to make to change the environment of your home. Personal shifts flow out of the rhythms that we decided in decision one. So the rhythms and the behaviors and the patterns and the habits that flow out of decision one, your mindset, that begins to shape the atmosphere of your home. So I'll give you a couple examples of personal shifts that I've walked through in, in my 28 years of building family. One of them is a personal shift for living well, just living well, eating well, drinking well, exercising well sometimes, getting rest, taking Sabbaths, going to bed on time, and honoring my time by waking up on time, and showing up on time. Just living well. This is a personal shift that impacts my family. Because when I'm not living well, I can't give the best to my family. I can't show up for my family and those I'm in community with the way I need to if I'm not taking care of myself. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. We call that excellence around here. It's one of the things that we birthed at church on one of the original five core values was excellence. Meaning, if you have a task, do it right the first time. Do it well. Do it with all of your heart as if you're serving God because the reality is all of my life, everything that my life contains is an offering to God. So I should be living well and doing it right. And it's not to please people. Let's just make sure we all understand that. I don't, I don't try to attain an excellent life to make you happy. I mean, I hope that you're happy, I guess. But it's not about you. It's about the life that I'm living for God. So the personal shift is living a life of excellence as if I'm working for the Lord. Because how I physically feel impacts the quality of myself that I can give to my family. So, confession. I had a lot of pizza this week. I, I did. I had mod pizza. I had Detroit-style deep dish in the oven pizza. I had Mr. Gaddy's. Yeah. But then I tried to run yesterday, and the pizza won. The worst time I've had, the most pain, 
I, sometimes when I'm running, I feel like I'm like racing my best time. You know, sometimes when I'm running, I feel like I'm just racing my energy levels. Yesterday, I was I was trying to outrace the pizza. It was it was bad. So you're gonna have moments in your pursuit of living well, where you're gonna order too much pizza. You're picking up what I'm laying down, but you run anyway. You keep running. Anyway, you keep pressing forward toward the goal and the prize which Jesus has called you towards. Another personal shift that I've tried to make. Now, I am naturally, innately a pessimist. Any fellow pessimist out here? Come on. How is it that there are only three pessimists in this church? All of you others hate yourself so much you're not lifting your hand. Oh, I just have. They're going to make fun of me the end of the world okay how many of you are optimist I just don't believe that I see how you walk in this building Sunday mornings at 10 15 you ain't, you ain't looking very optimistic I'm in church I'm at church again all, all, all of you are optimistic well listen I need to learn from you then. I need to learn from you how to see the glass half empty. No, see? Wow. I am so programmed to see it half empty. I can't even think of any other way. I, I don't see it half empty or half full. I just see the glass is always dirty. <laughs> Jordan did dishes. I'm not drinking from that. A personal shift that I've had to make through the years. And my wife can confirm that there are some days I hit it out of the park and some days I don't. But that's the language that I speak, the words that I speak. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of your tongue and those who understand it and comprehend it, you will eat the very fruit that your words have produced in the tree. So a personal shift for me, and it's not to make everyone else feel better or feel comfortable in my home. It's just so that I can show up better in the connections in my life is to take captive every thought that sets itself up against the authority and the word of God. And let there be a filter between my mind and my mouth. Do you catastrophize everything? Everything's a crisis. What a disaster. You know, so something spills and you just think it's the end of the world. I'm telling you right now, some of you optimists catastrophize everything. I don't think you're really an optimist. I think you're a fake optimist. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anyone personally, but I'm just saying. Everything's a crisis. Oh, my gosh. How is this going to work out? How are we going to pull this together? Why, why is this happening the problem is when we catastrophize everything, when we just allow what comes into our mind out our mouth. Now listen, it doesn't matter what comes into your mind. Don't hold yourself accountable for that. It's what you do with what pops into your mind that you need to be held accountable for. Okay? I have some pretty messed up thoughts. But it's what I do with those thoughts that the accountability becomes the issue. And so I can think the world is ending. The sky is falling. 
my kids are not doing well. I can think those things, but it's what I do with, do I allow those initial thoughts to then become prayer points and prayer focuses for me? Or do I just allow that to go from my mind to my mouth? Because the problem is, when I speak negative words in my home, and I have, and all you optimists have too, but when we speak negative words, we have to understand that there's a heaviness to those words. That then the people we love get to carry around as a burden on their shoulders throughout the day. Because the power of life and death is in your tongue. Maybe some of us need to make a personal shift just in our language. The way we communicate, the way we express our thoughts to other people. That's a personal shift. I'm out of time. Let me get to the next shift. The marriage shift. What shift can you take in your most intimate relationships? An example of that might be, maybe you're taking your spouse for granted. A marriage shift could be that you make a decision to verbalize everything you appreciate. You know what I found? I found that I appreciate my wife a lot more than I communicate to her that I appreciate. Am I the only one? I think in my mind, oh, wow, this meal is great. Oh, wow, you look wonderful. Oh, that was so kind. Oh, that was so gentle. I think all of these things, but somehow, somehow the tendency is bad thoughts come straight out, but good thoughts sit here a while. Why is that? Maybe the marriage shift is, if I think something good, I'm going to say it immediately. Think it, say it. Think it, say it. If I appreciate, say it. If, if, I, if I'm loving, say it. The moment you see something good, make that marriage shift. The third shift and personal shift is the kid shift. How are your kids influencing the atmosphere of your home? Parents are really defensive when you start talking about their kids. I know. We all are. But have you ever noticed that for some reason, parents develop this coping mechanism where they become immune to what their kids are doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, you go over to someone's house. Now, this has not happened to anyone in my church, okay? Let me just clarify that. You go over to their house, and the kids are... (laughs) running on the dining room table. You sit down for, for lunch and dinner with the family and the kids, who are not two years old, run across the dining room table in front of you while you're sitting there and you're thinking, is this the line for the buffet? Do I need to do that too? And, and the parents are just oblivious that their kids are kind of acting like animals. Do you know? Or you go to a restaurant, and I'm all for taking your kids to restaurants. Let, let families eat together. I'm, I'm for that. But I find it interesting that the kids are crying in the restaurant, and those of us who haven't had babies for a while, we really notice it. We really do. Or, or I've been around families, and their kids are talking like there's not a level 1 through 10. 
but the kids constantly are talking at a level 13. And the parents just carry on their conversation like they don't even know their kids are screaming in my ear right now. Parents are somewhat oblivious to their kids' behavior because maybe it's just a survival skill that God has given us so we don't go crazy with our own kids. But what is the kid's shift that needs to happen in your home? How can you help your kids become more in line with God's will for the family, God's purpose for your family? And then there are supernatural shifts. So I've, I've said family shifts would be personal, marriage, kid. There are three supernatural shifts I want to give you really quick. To alter the atmosphere of our home, we need a shift of blessing. We need to choose to bless rather than criticize. Encourage rather than correct. And I get the challenges. This, this actually isn't a pop psychology talk. This is not a TED talk. This is a talk about the word of God and there is a supernatural empowering that can happen in the home when we say yes to surrendering to God. The Holy Spirit can help you with the blessing of your children, the blessing of your spouse. We also need the shift of prayer. Spouses should be praying together. You should be praying for your spouse daily because the people you pray for God gives you a love for and it changes the lens from which you see them that's why Jesus said pray for your enemies bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you we need a shift of prayer in our homes and finally we need a shift of righteousness now righteousness is not about acting good and right and you doing all the right things. The shift of righteousness is not about legalism or what I like to call sin management. Instead, living in righteousness, God, God tells us in Romans 3.22 that when we make Jesus our Lord, we gain right standing with God. In other words, we become the righteousness of God. So living in righteousness, having a shift of righteousness is not about sin management. It's about living in the presence of God. So setting your home up with the diffusers and the worship music and the moments of encounter with God right in your living room. You don't have to encounter God on Sunday mornings at 10.30 to 11.30, sometimes 12. 12.10. We want to be in God's presence. We want the atmosphere of our home to reflect heaven. And decision number three. Thankfully, I preached a whole series on this a few weeks ago, so I don't even need to talk about it. I can just send you out with decision number three and refer you to the previous series. In our home, we should be talking about emotion. I just did a series, The Voice of the Heart, before Easter. But emotional safety creates a healthy home. If you're not talking about what you feel 
in your home, you will never be famous at home. If you're just dealing with the mechanics and the schedule and getting kids here and there and getting homework done and getting dinner on the table, if that's all you're dealing with and you're not getting the heart of your children or the heart of your spouse, you will never be famous at home. You and I should be, as believers, we shouldn't be the most self-aware and others-aware people that exist on planet Earth. Unfortunately, I think that as Christians, we use prayer as the scapegoat. We just pray for someone rather than investing in the hard conversations with them, rather than just sitting down and really getting to know who they are and Rather than looking at our own life and seeing how we really feel, let's just pray about it and maybe the fairy dust of heaven will make everything all right. I believe in the power of God. I believe that in the presence of God, things can shift in a moment that years of counseling can't take care of. But I also believe in years of counseling. I believe in reading the books and becoming a better parent, becoming a better husband and wife and and being the person that God intended you to be. I believe in standing before your bathroom mirror and asking the hard questions to yourself that you ask to everyone else. Emotions aren't scary things. And I'm not going to preach that series again. I really want to refer you to the voice of the heart. But I want to encourage us today that the more self-aware that I am, the more self-aware that I am, the greater is my ability to show up and be truly present for others without making their pain or their emotional state about me. When I'm self-aware, I don't get offended when you're upset. I just step into the mess with you and allow you to sort it out, help you to sort it out. I don't have to walk away and pretend that you're not in pain. I don't have to give excuses of why you're in pain because I'm self-aware to know that your issue is your issue. And I'm going to fight that issue with you, but I'm not going to make it my problem as if you don't like me. You see, we start fighting one another rather than fighting the issue. But when I'm self-aware... I can address and step into your pain without the boundaries. And the more others aware I am, the more the empathy can develop in my life. I'll leave you with this. King Solomon may well have been talking about emotions and leadership when he wrote Proverbs 16.32 that says, Patience is better than power. And controlling one's emotions is better than capturing a city. So many of us are failing to capture a city because we fail to capture ourselves. Will you stand? Father, I thank you for the design of family. to understand even the single people in the room, the people that maybe have gone through divorce, that are no longer married, the people that have been wounded in relationship. God, could we just take a moment to honor what you've established on earth? 
to understand that family is not about title. Family is about community. Family is about heading in the same direction. Just as Jesus was referring to the group that he sat among, that sat around him. God, I ask that you would help us in, in our relationships, in our homes, with the people that love us and the people that we love. Would you help us just come into alignment to step in unity? Maybe you're in the room today or maybe you're watching online and you just sense a draw. You've been trying to live life your own. You sense, you sense this feeling of community, this presence of community in the room today. And you're ready to say yes to Jesus. You're ready to be counted as one that's in the family of God. There is no formula. There's no way to behave from here. The first step is just saying, I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for my sin, that he was placed in a grave and on the third day he rose again. Jesus laid down his life so that you and I might find life in him. And if that's you, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, if you'll just lift your hand, no one's looking around. Everyone's eyes are closed. No one, no one is wanting to step on this sacred moment that you have with the Lord. But if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, will you just wave your hand at me? Maybe open your eyes, look at me, wave your hand, and then you can put it back down. So I know who I'm praying for this morning. Thank you. Anyone else? If you're watching online, no matter where you are, just place your hand over your heart. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just do something physical right now as an act of faith. And then the prayer is simple. Church, maybe you could just repeat this with me. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus, the Son of God, to die on the cross for me. I believe that he was buried and rose again as the scripture declared. From this moment forward, my life is not my own. I say yes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can we just celebrate the people that said yes this morning? Thank you. If you just said yes to Jesus, text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. I'm so glad that you came to church. We'll see you this Wednesday for Awaken at 6.30 p.m. or next Sunday at 10.30 p.m. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you. We love you.